Welcome to the FedTech Innovator Podcast, bringing you the stories and journeys behind deep tech innovation and entrepreneurship. In each interview, we go behind the scenes with the entrepreneurs, scientists, and visionaries who are engineering the technologies of tomorrow, today. These journeys are unpredictable and full of learning, and whether you're an entrepreneur, researcher, or funder of innovation, our goal is to create a community where we can learn from each other as we all seek to change the world with technology. All right. Well, hi, everybody. Ben Solomon here coming to you from a, an absolutely sweltering uh, September day in Washington, D.C., but uh, everything is cool with our, our guest today here, uh, Dr. Genevieve Lind from uh, NOAA, who runs the NOAA's um, SBIR program. So welcome, Genevieve. How's everything? Great, Ben. It's great to be here, and it's especially great to be here from the cool uh, Pacific Northwest. Yeah, where, where are you calling in from, actually? I'm in um, Olympia, Washington, just south of Seattle. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I was just, I had a, a really fun Seattle trip actually in spring where I got to meet with a bunch of the, the incubators and investment funds and whatnot. So it's it's a great, great spot you live in. I just moved here in uh, spring myself, so I uh, need to connect with all those incubators and everyone. Oh, sure. Yeah, let's, I have some good folks to introduce you to. Yeah, let's, let's make that happen. Um, but Genevieve, yeah, tell me tell me a little bit about what you do um, and, and maybe even just for the audience, give us kind of a NOAA 101. Definitely NOAA is uh, an incredibly important agency, especially right now. And just, just a little bit of your background and then the uh, background of the agency. Yeah, absolutely. So in my current role, I manage the Small Business Innovation Research or SBIR program for NOAA. NOAA is part of the Department of Commerce, and the mission at NOAA is to understand and predict changes in climate, weather, oceans, and coasts, to share that knowledge and information with others, and to conserve and manage coastal and marine ecosystems and resources. The shorthand for all of that is science, service, and stewardship. So the key areas of the NOAA mission are climate, weather, oceans, and coasts. And NOAA's work involves monitoring and measuring changes in those four areas, and in some cases, mitigating the negative impacts of changes in those areas. Um, NOAA is made up of um, a, a lot of different components, including conducting research ourselves in labs that are located across the country. Uh, we also partner with existing research institutions through our Cooperative Institutes program, and we fund research as well. Um, through programs like the SBIR program, uh, as well as a number of other opportunities. Uh, we also participate in a variety of public-private pri partnerships to advance innovation across the NOAA mission space. Yeah, fabulous. And and, and I guess tell us more, um, Genevieve, for, for folks that are maybe not as familiar with what SBIR is, so the acronym for Small Business Innovation Research, how does that work? How do companies get started? And and What's um, I know Noah's program is very unique. What what what's different than you know about Noah's program than than others out there in government? Yeah, absolutely. If you're not familiar with SBIR and the companion program STTR or the Small Business Technology Transfer Program, um, these are congressionally mandated programs where federal agencies who have a research and development budget over a certain amount have to reserve a portion of that funding, uh, which is 3.5% uh, at NOAA, 
for small businesses to participate in federal research and development. Could you just share for a moment on how SBIR works, what the dollar amounts are, um, what type of company might be most uh, interested and excited in, in looking at your SBIR program? For sure. So with the NOAA SBIR program, we are looking to invest in innovative technologies with strong commercial potential across the whole NOAA mission space that I mentioned before. Um, when an SBIR program is, issues a solicitation for proposals, they usually provide some kind of list of the types of technologies or ideas that they're looking for, and these are usually called research topics. At NOAA, we issue broad topics rather than narrowly defined topics, and these broad topics help us encourage innovator solutions to big, hard-to-solve problems in the NOAA mission rather than NOAA-defined solutions to NOAA-specific problems. The last few years, our topics have been based on agency-wide strategic documents and are currently based on what's called the NOAA Water Weather Climate Strategy, which was developed by technical experts across the whole agency. Um, we are looking to invest in technologies at a very early stage with the NOAA SBIR program, starting with phase one. Our phase one program supports feasibility and proof of concept testing over a six month period of performance and for up to $175,000, if that gives you a sense of the scale of uh, a phase one project. And, that, and that's non-dilutive, right? Yeah, absolutely. Fully non-dilutive funding. The intellectual property belongs to small business. We don't take any equity in, in the business. So it's uh, basically free money, although you do have to work pretty hard to, to get that money, is, is certainly a competitive program across all the agencies. From phase one, applicants are eligible to move into phase two, where we support further research and development for two additional years and up to $650,000. With our program, we use grants as a funding mechanism, and we are looking for technologies with broad commercial potential. So NOAA isn't necessarily going to be a customer of the technologies developed through the NOAA SBIR program. We, we work with companies at a variety of different stages, but we're particularly interested in brand new companies that are just starting up and uh, trying to get uh, a new technology off the ground. I always make the joke that um, SBIR is kind of like the biggest seed fund in the world that, that uh, unfortunately very few entrepreneurs actually know, know about. <laughs> um, we're, we're trying to change that at FedTech, um, as I know you are um, at NOAA, but um, really just like the scale. And, and, and we see a lot of great companies leverage SBIR for some of that very first product development. Um, we've had just, just uh, dozens of our um, alumni companies from FedTech, you know, go on to really use SBIR as a mechanism just to, to have non-dilutive capital, like you mentioned, Genevieve, grow, grow a product line, uh, be able to go and, and, and raise outside capital, right? I think investors uh, are very interested to see if you can leverage SBIR um, as some of that initial funding and being able to get to that demonstration point that Genevieve mentioned at a, you know, a phase, phase two. Um, I guess question for you, Genevieve, like just with, we, we, we work a lot with the DOD's SBIR program and, and it has in some ways the advantage of the phase three customer, you know, very often being the defense department, right? Where the, the DOD can have SBIRs that the products will eventually be be bought at scale and 
even a scale that will often support a whole business um, from the the DoD. Um, where, where do like most NOAA phase threes come from or, or any perspective on that? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I I think there is, it's hard to define a, a typical NOAA SBIR project because we see such a diversity of technology types, mission objectives that are being met and um, ultimate success stories for what that, what success looks like for that, that company. One of the things that's really cool about the SBIR program that maybe not everyone is aware of is that for phase three, um, when it comes to government customers, any SBIR technology developed at any agency is actually eligible for a phase three award at any other federal agency that's looking for that specific technology. So um, one of the great things about the NOAA mission is that our mission overlaps with the mission of a lot of other agencies that have SBIR programs, including Department of Defense, the, the Navy SBIR program, but also USDA, NASA, EPA, et cetera. And so we get to we do get to see a lot of sort of cross pollination of these SBIR funded ideas. Um, we've funded phase threes from SBIR projects that were initially funded by NASA. Our early SBIR projects go into phase three with the Department of Defense or NASA, et cetera. So um, no typical path, but a, but a lot of really cool overlap and opportunity within the NOAA mission space. Well, and, and you you obviously are all really at the forefront of, of um, investing in technologies that will hopefully do things like slow down climate change. And I just actually wanted to read some of the um, the categories that that entrepreneurs can apply to uh, for NOAA SBIR. So category one, extreme events and cascading hazards. Category two, coastal resilience. Category three, the changing ocean. Four, water availability, quality, and risk. Um five effects of space weather, six monitoring and modeling for climate change mitigation. Um, if you sort of superimpose these topics over, you know, a typical news day, you're going to, you could see the importance, you know, of, of the work that you all do. The climate is, uh, getting, uh, more, more dangerous and really grateful to have Noah doing this type of work. I'm curious personally, what is it like to work at an agency that, that has this mission and, and this importance kind of in this moment in time? Um, and then for your colleagues also, what, what's it like? What kind of people wander the halls at NOAA? Yeah, absolutely. Those are all such important challenges and, and really timely challenges. And um, it's, so, it's so amazing to be able to get up every day and work with people who are really just trying to solve these really important problems, both in my colleagues across the agency who are all, you know, amazing experts in these technical challenges and opportunities, as well as the innovators that we work with and support. Um, one of my favorite parts of the, the program is when we have our kickoff meeting with a brand new cohort of awards. And um, we usually do introductions to all the technologies. And there's all of these connections that even happen in these meetings, because a lot of those challenges are intersecting and overlapping. And um, it's uh, inspiring to be able to do this work every day. Your background is is very different, though, and I was just curious. Yeah, I mean, if you could share a little bit about your journey from from the lab to to market, so to speak. You know, now running a program like this. 
Yeah, absolutely. So before I was in this role, I worked in technology development and translational research at the National Institutes of Health, first as a science policy fellow and then as a health program specialist. Um, I grew up in a small rural community in Montana where I didn't have access to a lot of information about different career opportunities. I ended up getting a broad liberal arts education focused on social sciences. Through a process of trial and error, I found my way to science and eventually earned a PhD in neuroscience from the University of Montana. I think I was drawn to neuroscience because it's a, a deeply interdisciplinary space. I was able to study chemistry, electrical signaling, physics, biology, psychology, physiology, mathematical modeling, pharmacology, and, and many other areas. And so I developed a really strong breadth of scientific expertise. I found this um, really well-produced uh, talk show piece with, with you. So neurology, pharmacology, and poultry, um, the SciShow talk, talk show uh, <laughs> What, what was it? What was the deal with that? I thought, I thought you were great on there. Yeah, thank you. That was a, a really cool opportunity that uh, that came about because the SciShow, um, the founder, Hank Green, is based in Missoula, which is a really great asset to the community there. And um, oh, I did okay. a lot of outreach and, and science communication as a grad student and was um, was able to participate on that show. It was, it was great fun. Sorry, I interrupted you. So yeah, tell us more about the intersection of, of neurology and pharmacology. And, and if you want to bring up the poultry piece too. Yeah. So that the poultry piece, there's not necessarily a connection. So the main um, tool I worked with in grad school was frog eggs because they are uh, a single cell that, uh, that you can, you know, see with the naked eye. And we, we use those to do the pharmacology and electricity studies that, that I did as part of my dissertation. Um, the poultry part was because uh, on the SciShow, there's always an animal guest at the end of the episode, and the uh, guest for my episode was uh, chicken. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, we, we got to meet the chicken, but uh, I think the connection was with the eggs that I worked with, and uh, chickens make eggs themselves. <laughs> what a what a great yeah. We should uh, if, if for my team listening uh, or producing team here, we should we should definitely incorporate the animal uh, an animal on every show would be uh, enjoyable, even though we're we're audio only. <laughs> So That'd be great. We may get a visit from one of my cats. So let's see. Okay. So talk me through, uh, Genevieve, like the, so the AAAS, obviously wonderful organization, wonderful program. So at FedTech, our startup studio is where we um, take uh, entrepreneurial talent, pair up those entrepreneurs with inventions from federal labs and, and in that process, help them start new companies. And we actually, for a while, we had a very consistent flow of, of AAAS fellows um, who were interested in, in entrepreneurship and would participate in our uh, programming and even even a couple of companies um, get created. But I just, yeah, I'd love to hear about your experience with AAAS. I'm, I'm guessing, is that what brought you to DC? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, AAAS program is such a cool uh, opportunity for, for PhD level scientists. I think what brings a lot of us there is that we get to the end of grad school and, and realize that maybe a career at the bench itself is not what we want to do with our time, but we are all passionate about science and using science to, to make change. So the AAAS Science and Technology Policy Fellowship takes PhD level scientists and places them in federal agencies across the government. 
um, to both bring scientific perspective and information to the policymaking process and also to allow um, the scientists to to develop skills and, and learn about the policy making process itself. So it's a really, really cool opportunity. Um, uh, in between, after after grad school, I w- ended up working at uh, the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center at the university where I earned my PhD, which got me really interested in the intersection of science and business. And that's how I ended up at the, the um, Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute in the Office of Translational Alliances and Coordination, which was basically the the tech transfer and SBIR office for Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. And um, I've been working in that space ever since. Yeah, interesting. Actually, and backing up a little bit, so for so you worked um, at an accelerator, incubator accelerator in, at University of Montana. Um, I'm just curious, like what what kinds of companies get started in Montana? I, I've never been. I've always wanted to go. I hear that there's a really good kind of burgeoning innovation ecosystem. Yeah, the innovation ecosystem in in Montana and and Missoula specifically are are really exciting and um, rapidly growing. And you know, I was new to that space coming in as a pure scientist, and and part of the work that I was doing was to kind of help bring the scientific community a little bit more into that entrepreneurship and innovation space. So, you know, talking to faculty and students and researchers in early parts of that process to understand how that transition from, you know, pure basic research science to uh, really that translational science can can take place and what that can look like. We saw a such a huge variety of technology types in uh, the the launch pad, everything from, um, you know, Main Street businesses, restaurants, wedding planning companies, all the way up to, you know, high tech companies looking to translate lab based technology into a veterinary application. So a, a lot of really exciting things happening at the university. Okay. Yeah. And that's where, so that's where you, you, got, you got the startup bu- uh, bug, it sounds like a yeah, little bit. It's, um, it's hard to shake that. I'm grateful to someone like yourself that you're you're in federal service. It's something that is just so important that we have our best people at least taking a, a stop and a swing through government, even if you you go private sector later. But um, I'm curious. I mean, how, how, can you tell us more about just even that decision point of uh, you know for uh, PhDs in neuroscience, you have a lot of options, a lot of places you could go. What kind of brought you back into government after AAAS? That's a really great question. Um, I think I really love the the service component of public service and really feel like I have the ability to make an impact at a, a broad level um, with the programs that I've worked with and the opportunities that I've had. Um, especially with SBIR, there's a lot of intersection with uh, not just you know giving out money, but but uh, developing policies and processes and programs to make that process more efficient, or to make sure that the process is accessible and inclusive for scientists from a variety of backgrounds. Um, and so, the the breadth of the work that I get to do, not just from a scientific perspective, but everything from program to policy to outreach is um, it's all it's all part of what I do 
in, in a small SBIR program, it, which NOAA is one of the smaller programs and smaller agencies. And uh, I get bored easily. So I love being able to do such a huge variety of things on a daily basis. One, it just is to me, it's such an exciting time for government, for science, um, for even regional innovation. FedTech, we closely track and often participate in some of the the regional innovation initiatives um, across the country. You know, this idea that uh, technology development and technology-based entrepreneurship can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to happen on the coast. Um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and just, you know, the, some of the, the, th the thrusts of this, this administration and this, um, this, this government now, it just is, it's a really exciting time, um, to be doing this type of work in my opinion. Yeah, it is. So, so you mentioned, obviously SBIR is extremely competitive, right? You have a lot of really wonderful companies competing for a limited amount of resources. Um, how would you advise entrepreneurs based on your experience just to, to, to go about, you know, everything from, understanding kind of the NOAA mission space to um, going about, you know, even simple things like like constructing a proposal, building a team, whatever that might be. What, what advice would you give? Yeah, it's, it's not an easy, simple process, and it can take many, many hours to develop a successful pro proposal. So I it's not something that someone should take on lightly or without their their full energy. Um, for for NOAA, and I would say probably for uh, a lot of other agencies that have SBIR programs, one of the key you know components of the process are the review criteria and the review process. That's ultimately what decides what gets funded and what doesn't. the The program, the SBIR program, is intended to select scientifically and technically meritorious proposals that are innovative and have commercial potential. So with NOAA, the four components of a proposal, which are our four review criteria, are science, innovation, commercialization, and team. First and foremost, science is the foundation of the NOAA mission, and so that should provide the foundation of any application to any SBIR program. It represents a significant portion of the reviewer's score. Um, so re uh, applicants should make sure that they're clearly identifying the significance of the problem or the opportunity that they are proposing to solve with the technology that they're developing and make clear what the technical objectives of the proposal are. And it's really important with that to keep in mind the six-month six period of performance and the $175,000 because we one of the key things that reviewers look at is is whether what is being proposed is is you know, feasible within the amount of time that you have to do it and with the resources that you have to do that. Um, another component of that is the team for NOAA team and facilities is part of the scored review criteria, and so you do want to make sure that you are bringing a proposal that already has the resources and the scientific and technical expertise that you need to complete the proposed work. So it's important that you have all the intellectual components of a proposal on your team from upfront. We get that question a lot from startups of, of just, yeah, how do, you, how do you signal a strong team? What does a strong team look like? 
Yeah, I think that that's a great question. And I think it can be challenging for a really early stage beginning startup because, you know, you don't have the resources to hire all of the team. And so there are a lot of ways I think that you can incorporate that with the unpaid consultants to make sure that you are representing the right expertise um, or part of the SBIR policy does allow small businesses to contract with existing research institutions to complete some of that work. So if you do have a gap in your team in a particular area of expertise, um, there are free, low-cost or cost uh, resources out there to help build up your team in those early stages. Um, I think another key component of that can be the customer discovery process, talking to a lot of people to get yourself in the right direction and um, incorporating expertise through the interview process and, and by learning about customer needs. It can be another another way to incorporate knowledge and expertise without actually you know, paying for that expertise upfront. As a, as a small company, as a startup, you got to be um, ingenious and um, we've actually seen a lot of great success from our startups partnering with, with universities. A lot of times universities are surprisingly, um, responsive and of wanting to be involved in SBIRs as a way to, to, to translate their, what they're working on in a lab environment. And it's, it's often a very synergistic partnership. One other thing that you were mentioning, uh, Genevieve around just the, the proposal process. I wanted to footstop a little bit, just the importance of for, for entrepreneurs listening that, that element of clarity that, that Genevieve brought up, right? Can you, can you clearly articulate, you know, again, what's the problem you're solving? What's the solution look like? What are the technical objectives that you're going to achieve um, for the amount of funding? And it's um, just so important to have that story come through in a way that's accessible to the reader. You know, just we, we see a lot of really nice, um, interesting ideas that are, you know, occasionally a little bogged down in, in, in the technical uh, piece and the jargon and makes it a, it seems to be a harder lift for those, those proposals to be um, successful. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing that comes to mind too, that that's related to that is um, if, if a small company startup is, is more used to um, pursuing venture capital as a, a resource in, in these early stages, I think, one thing to keep in mind that's maybe a little bit different with this SBIR process uh, is that we're really focused a lot more on the technology level and the technology itself and less so on the company and the history of the company. And uh, we recently had a, a company go through the process and they were really trying to pitch to us like they would to a, a VC. And it, it really didn't uh, resonate with the reviewers as well. My first company um, was actually doing robotics-related work, and we were, you know, very keen on on trying to win SBIRs. Uh, I remember it's very easy to fall into the trap of of not talking to you and not learning enough about the the end customers. For folks that are interested in NOAA SBIRs, like go online, read everything you can about NOAA. You know, if you get a chance to to talk to NOAA staff, whether it's at conferences or trade shows, or is this something, Genevieve, it, are, are the reviewers accessible um, to have a conversation at all prior to the the kind of deadline for the proposal? Is that is that something that NOAA is ever able to offer? Well, they wouldn't be accessible as reviewers because uh, the reviewers are anonymous, but uh, our reviewers are 
representatives from across NOAA and outside of NOAA from industry and uh, academia as well. And so maybe not focused on having those conversations with reviewers specifically, but having those conversations with scientific experts across the field to really get a deep understanding of the problem space is definitely something that uh, a small business startup should do before submitting an application to SBIR. Absolutely. Yeah, well, this is great. Any just last takeaways, Genevieve, of, of, of just what, what you'd want the listener base to kind of know about your program, you know, about NOAA as a whole? Anything else come to mind? The key thing to keep in mind is that our mission space is huge and there's probably something relevant within our mission that uh, a company is working on that has relevance. And so be sure to keep us in mind um, when you're looking for resources to, to fund your early efforts. In general, we are looking to support a broad, diverse group of entrepreneurs, and we especially love receiving proposals from people who have never applied before, who can really benefit from that early funding boost and go on to do something great. And we welcome conversations with these uh, folks at any point in the process, and you can certainly email us, noah.sbir at noah.gov. We've got a whole team of people waiting for your emails. Um, and we also encourage people to check out the resources on our website and um, follow us on social media as well. We are here to help people navigate the process. And um, it's important to keep that in mind. Uh, we are a resource for you. So you're saying government is not a, a giant, inaccessible monolith that, that, that doesn't want to talk to you if you're an entrepreneur? I'm doing my very best to ensure that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's always something we just encourage folks to have, yeah, reach out and have a conversation, right? People are actually yeah, wanting to talk to you, wanting you to be a part of the the solution space, which for Noah, yeah, you know, again is is just incredibly important work. Think about the technology that that Noah is making awards on and and is growing and maturing. So, thank you uh, Dr. Genevieve Lind for the work you do and Really exciting to see how your program develops in the future and grateful to have you on the, the podcast today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.